0: It's good to see you. My name is Drew. I'm the pastor here uh, at Hope, and uh, we're really glad you're here. And it's, it's feeling a little extra cheery today with the uh, not cold. I didn't have to wear a coat today in the morning. Uh, oh, it's going to happen. And uh, and today I'm so excited. Our, the passage we're in today is like we've been waiting, and maybe you felt this. Um, but we're finally uh, uh, to a really important, really uh, kind of incredible moment in Scripture as we get to this part. Um, but back to this question... I have never been on jury duty. Um, I do have a friend who for weeks was like waiting. He had to go every day and like wait. I I used to think it would be really cool to be on jury duty to see like all the action happen. Um, And then he informed me it wasn't quite as exciting as he thought. And so now I'm not quite as excited. Uh, It is kind of an honor, I guess, a privilege maybe. I don't know that we get to be a part of that process. I don't know if we all think that way. The reason I didn't really know as I talked to him was because my education of how courts work is 100% from screens. Um, things like uh, this, right? Bum, 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 bum. Everyone knows it. The bass line, the ba dee doo poo doo is my favorite part of that. Uh, or maybe uh, watching some Judge Judy. I hear this isn't how it typically is when you're uh, in court. Everyone knows Judge Judy, though. I just learned her last name making this slide. It's like she has a last name. didn't know she had a last name. Or me growing up, actually, in our house, we watched a show called Night Court. Did you ever watch this growing up, maybe, or not growing up as an adult? Uh, this is one of my dad's favorite shows. We watched a lot of that. It just rebooted that, like all shows have been. Or maybe uh, often it's just in the theater I've seen uh, a, a depiction. And so there's some kind of famous movies. I remember in, when I went to film school for a short period, this was a... One of the things we studied was how they portray like courtroom scenes and how powerful those scenes can be in the image of them. There's some famous courtroom scenes this is from 12 Angry Men. This is from 1957, uh, the story of these jurors um, and how uh, all the the drama that kind of happens there. Or uh, or To Kill a Mockingbird was a pretty uh, revolutionary movie. And the court scenes in here um, were some of the first time some people even got to see um, uh, the law and how maybe it was different for someone of color and not. This is a movie that takes place, um, I think, in the 1930s. It was, came out in 1962. Or a classic, A Few Good Men. This is when you you can't handle the truth. His first toll, right? You, you maybe even know that phrase, right? You don't even know. Um, when our friend Tom Cruise, look how young he looks there. He still looks like this, doesn't he? Uh, yells that. Um, or, of course, right, if you think of courtroom scenes you have to think of legally blonde uh again i hear that's not really necessarily how it all works um i just found out though this the person who wrote this uh was actually describing some of her own like experience uh being someone who loved the quote was loved fashion a lot and loved law a lot um and so that movie again that's kind of how my experience right so i thought oh it's this like everything's exciting and really dramatic and there's lots of like glares from lawyers at jurors and each other. And um, I don't know if that's exactly how it is. In my experience, the only time I've really been, like, experienced the process of being in court was a really great process. You know, for some that this may be a process um, where you actually had to maybe um, experience, like, witness someone being on trial for something they did that hurt someone else or take from someone else. Or maybe you yourself had to be a part of that process. Uh, Or maybe you yourself were, were hurt or harmed and you had to be in court for that. For, for me and our family, actually, the, going to court was actually a really wonderful experience. Maybe you don't think of court, but we uh, actually became a family in a court, uh, which didn't look as cool. The room just looked like a room <laughs> with a big desk. This is our judge who presided over us. And he's the one who actually like legally declared us a family. He said, you are now officially a family. In fact, he said, uh, you, you are now a family. And in the eyes of Minnesota have always been a family which is a really cool experience. So we have this great uh, really smiley experience as uh, our family became a family. Well, our girls do look older than that now, a little bit taller than that. They don't have to sit, sit on things uh, anymore. That was eight years ago for us now, around there. Um, so that was a good experience. So court is like a place that uh, can be a really difficult place. It can be really intense place. Uh, it can be actually a really cool, joyful place that makes you family. And so I want us to picture this because today uh, the text that we're in gives uh, a couple pictures to us that are pretty um, great pictures of what it means, what the gospel really is, what the good news really is. And today we're going to look at one of them and it really sets us kind of in a court scene as if we're there. And so we are in a series in the book of Romans. We've been uh, working through it here and uh, we're going to take a break here for the summer, but we'll continue through it. We are uh, almost through the third chapter. Good work, everybody. Um, And we are to a passage here towards the end of the third chapter that is an incredibly important moment in all the scripture. In fact, Martin Luther says, the chief point and the very central place of the epistle and the whole Bible is in this passage. He said, if you read this these verses, you're going to get the idea as you like expand back out throughout the Bible. This is what it's all about. Another uh, uh, theologian, Leon Morris says, it's possibly the most important single paragraph that's ever been written in all of history. Isn't that cool. I love that. So so we're going to get to it. Here's, here's our passage for today. Um, we're actually going to read this whole passage 19. Uh, through 26. And for the next three weeks, we're going to take parts of this, which are going to give us a couple different images uh, and really explain what the gospel is. We want to take some time to, to really uh, kind of marinate on this and think about this. Um, as we have come up to this passage, it's been a chapter, two and a half chapters, three chapters of explaining this issue of sin and the problem of disobedience, the problem that we, this distance we have from God and all the different ways that works out. Um, and so this passage now is going gonna, is gonna to share with us what that looks like. What's So what? So what's next? Um, so let me just read this to us here. All the passages this week will be um, up on the screen for you. You can just read along or read in your Bibles. This is from Romans 3, 19 through 26. The passage that Martin Luther says is the center, like the chief passage in Scripture. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. The whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Today we're just going to look at this first part, um, and really it's kind of an introduction here, 19, and then we're going to look at this first image. As you continue to think about what it looks like to be in a court, um, we're going to look here at this first uh, uh, passage. So let's just look at the first chunk here. Now we have what whatever the law says, uh, it speaks to those who are under the law, so every mouth may be stopped. Now we actually looked at this last week, briefly, as we had, a, we had kind of a service with everybody in here together, all the kids too. Um, and looked at the severity of sin. And now we're going to look, this is a kind of introduction to this, um, this part. It says that everyone is under this law and their mouths uh, may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Last week we hinted at this, kind of looked at the sin. Uh, the law shows us uh, as almost a mirror, right? It makes us look at ourselves and go, oh, there's something wrong and this needs to be fixed. Last week, we mentioned even about heart surgery. There's something wrong with my heart, and I can't can't fix it. If I did heart surgery on myself, I would kill myself. And so if I I need someone else to come and fix it and heal me so that I could live. And now this actually gives this scene, this language is actually uh, language that could be used in in kind of a court or in a proceeding, this language of every mouth may be stopped. It's actually the same phrase they use when Jesus is, uh, before Pilate, there's times where Jesus is talking and someone actually like puts their hand on his mouth. It's a weird scripture and you're like, what? Uh, it's cause actually it was a the thing they'd say like, you have nothing to say. You don't, don't even try. <laughs> have you ever had a moment where someone just goes like, shh, just, <laughs> you're trying, right? You're digging yourself a hole. Might be a phrase we would use today. It's saying, you. Remember, you've turned from God over and over to different things. You've relied on your, just your name, your family, to make you right with God, and all that. You know, you're, there's something wrong. There's sin, and we're broken, and we need fixed. We're sick, and we need a doctor. And you want to, you want to say, but, but there's there's a way, right? Or, or it's not my fault, or I did the, but or I could do this, and it's saying, no, 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 just stop. So imagine this: we're in a in a in a court together. We're, we're in front of the judge and the jury, and the law is accusing us. It's pointing its finger at us and saying, these people are sinners. Let me list for you the sins of these people. And it's saying, no, just be quiet for a second. Let's hear this list. If you, if you, look, if you open your Bibles in, Rome, in the book of Romans, in just the first few chapters, you're going to hear things and accusations as if we were standing in court and the law was pointing at us saying, Look at these people here. Have you seen what they have done? They've worshiped created things, not the creator God. They think they are the source of wisdom, just like we see way back in the garden. It's the same issue. They've turned away thinking that they can handle things. They've relied on their own name as Jewish people. Because I'm a Jewish person, I'm good with God and not because of faith in Christ. They think, because I'm circumcised, it's okay. I cannot be separated from God. You just look through the list and they're saying, and you're this, and you're this, and you're this, and you're in big, big trouble, and you're guilty. And there's no question about it. So we sit in this. This is the, the passage we're in saying the loss shows us this. And Paul, writing this letter to the people in Rome, in the church, as they sit and hear this letter, uh. They get the benefit of reading this whole letter together, but they just had a whole list reminding them that all people in all different parts of life, in all different religious backgrounds, in all different occupations, people have a lot of money and people have a little bit of money. People who live everywhere in all of time are in a lot of trouble. And the verdict is that they're guilty. To the point, where I don't know if there would be a like a jury, like if the jury was there, they'd like get up to deliberate and they'd be like do we even need to go in the room i think we're all we're all guilty right it's all guilt yep and they'd be like they're guilt it's clearly guilty no one's surprised by the guilt of these people they're in big big And of scripture just stopped here if paul just wrote a letter and said hey uh, accusing us saying you are sinners and you're broken and and you need a savior we would just be stuck right this is actually a lot of times how i feel is uh whether it's from my own head or from a culture around me or from Satan. Accused, right? A lot of accusations. In fact, we use the word accuser for Satan. A lot of places actually in scripture where Satan is, uh, the word Satan maybe is actually a word that means accuser, saying you're broken, you're a sinner. You're not doing what God called you to do. You're not enough, right? Maybe you hear that. And so those things we hear, the law is telling us that. And then we hear this incredible word as we're being accused, right? We're standing in court. They say, they're guilty. Take them away. And that washes over us. And we're like, sit, like we are. We can't get out of this. And then it says a word. There's some sweet moments in scripture where it says the word, but. It says, but wait, but wait. It's as if, it's as if the, the judge, everyone ruled, they are sinful and they deserve death. Everyone goes, oh, and then someone speaks up and says, but wait, there's more, but it's so sweet. This word is so sweet. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Do you hear this? It's, it's, it may sound kind of like very Christian language or Bible language. It's saying now God has made himself known Apart from the law. There's one that has come who's not under that law, who, who doesn't stand guilty in the court. The righteousness of God comes now through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It says, but there's a way. There's healing, there's light from the darkness, there's life from the death that you are that you owe. And it's through Christ, and it's through faith in Christ. Jesus has come. He's appeared. This word manifested here, some translations say made himself known. That word manifest is actually kind of a popular word uh, currently. People like to manifest things. Like they um, maybe make like boards where they look like every day at like a thing they want. And then they, they feel like, like the universe might manifest that, like make it or create it. Well, we actually hear that God actually manifests. He actually comes into the world. And we know this. Through, at Christmas, this is what we celebrate. We celebrate this passage, Romans 3, 21, when God appears and makes himself known, right? Even hear the language here in verse, in John, the beginning of John, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. uh, And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, cried out. This was he whom I said, he who comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. John the the Baptist is right, is proclaiming God has finally come. The one has come who will rescue us. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known or manifested him. And so in, in Romans here, we're celebrating Christmas for a moment. Paul's saying, yes, I want, you to, I want you to really sit in like, there's something wrong. You're more of a sinner than you realize, but you don't realize you're loved so much more than you realize. So much that God himself would come and be known. And when the guilty verdict comes down on you and you're, sent, and you're being sent off, sentenced to death, the handcuffs go on you and you put your jumpsuit on and they're taking you through. He comes and he takes your jumpsuit. He takes your handcuffs. He says, I, I'm going to actually go in their place. And actually in this picture, as we see this picture, it's as if the judge himself takes off his robe, climbs over his desk and says, they're guilty, but I'm going to go in place of them. I'm going I'm to be taken to jail. I'm going to sit on death row and I'll be executed. That's like insane. That's scandalous. What incredible news. And I love there's a moment here, a little uh, aside here kind of. It says, manifest the department of law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. There's this reminder, Paul says, but we've actually been waiting for this. And we've gotten hints of this. And we've been hearing this story and seeing this pattern for a long, long time. And how and how's that How does that feel? I think this is part of he's trying to remind even, especially his Jewish readers, this is what you've been waiting for. This is what the stories of your youth and the stories of our people all point us to, is this is the ultimate of all those things. So let me show you even just one place of that. This is as as we open the, the Old Testament. So the Law and the Prophets is the way to talk about this Old Testament that we have. Like for us, we call it the Old Testament. For them, it was Scripture. The the stories in there, the prophecies in there, the poetry, those things point us to the one who has come to rescue us, the one who we put our faith in and are rescued in. So here's one way that that, actually just recently, one of these popped out to me as I was reading a story kind of afresh again. This is um, a moment in the gospels for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying. They're afraid to ask him. He says it's three days. There's actually a bunch of places he talks about three days, uh, dying and then rising in three days. Well, it's part of the story, right, that Jesus dies and rises in three days. He mentions here this son of man is going to deliver God's people by being delivered over to people to be killed. He even says at one point, uh, he mentions he's kind of like a better Jonah a hint back, right? And so we hear that and it reminds us that the law and the prophets have been talking about the one who will come over and over again in the same way. This is such a fascinating part of history. There's three stories that just right away pop out. Jesus actually talks about himself as being a Jonah. If you remember, Jonah was in a boat and there was a great storm. Jonah had turned away from God and he was escaping on this boat and there was this big storm that was coming. It was going to really probably kill these people the sailors are scared and Jonah is scared and they say like what what is happening and can we somehow like please the gods or what and he says I think this chaos this storm that could kill us is because of me and my disobedience and so he says I, I I'll give my life to this and so I think even that story they say like maybe there's another way and he says no I'll give my life he jumps into the scene and then he gets eaten by a big fish whale whatever um it looks exactly like this photograph here of him <laughs> Uh look at that beard on him. Uh, he must have grown a beard while he's in the whale. But he gets eaten. He gets swallowed up in the chaos, almost like he goes into a tomb. And then three days, he's in there, and he's hes vomited, right? He's thrown up on the shore. New life. It's as if he's risen from the dead, as if he's been resurrected. This great moment that God's people have held on to, going, wow, God can do this incredible thing. This man, uh, the, the calm and the chaos of the storm was calmed after he sat in a whale for three days and then was brought to life. Or what about the story of Isaac and his father, Abraham? A son who's taken to be sacrificed. And that story, if you read that story, they hiked up a hill for three days. For three days, they went up. And, and then the end of that story gives us this great picture of a time that God stops the death that was gonna come to Abraham's son and instead they sacrifice a substitute, a ram in his place. What an image, right? Guys, people go, how cool is that? If, if only one day someone could come and do that for everyone. If only one day someone could calm the storms for everyone. And it'd just be done. We wouldn't keep having to hear these stories of three days. And recently reading the story of Esther, I saw the same thing. This three-day thing kept popping up for me. in the story of Esther this beautiful woman who uh, gets favor with the king, there's this moment where it says there's been three days, and the king says to her, uh, you have favor with me. What would you like, Esther? And she's able to actually stop the killing of God's people that was going to happen through deceit and accusations. And so Esther actually, after three days, she uh, says, I, God, I, I'd like you to not kill my people. <laughs> And she, all these people are saved from the death that comes from this king, from from bad information, from this, uh, one of his advisors. These are just three stories. They're all over the place. These moments where God's people would go, gosh, if only someone could come to kind of, to, to be like an advocate for us, to rescue us, that they would come and satisfy like this sin and it, and then after three days, there's this like this resurrection, this new life, or this rescue that happens. There's these patterns that we see over and over in scripture in this Old Testament. And now Paul is saying, We've seen this testified. And there's gotta be moments where people lay in bed and they go, if only someone could come and calm the storm once and for all. If only someone could come and be a sacrifice to end death once and for all. If only someone could come and speak and and act on behalf of our people so that all of us would have an opportunity to be rescued from death. And, And he does. He says, the one we've all been waiting for, the one who's come to rescue us has come. I wonder if uh, in the moment when Paul saw Jesus on the road, if you remember in Paul's story, uh, his name was Saul, and he was actually walking around like persecuting Christians, killing Christians, and uh, Jesus appears to him, and he says, why are you hurting my people? And he goes blind, and then Paul has some days in darkness before his eyes are open, before there's this new life for him. You got to wonder, in that moment, we don't know in Scripture, but in that moment, if he was thinking through all those things, Remembering Jonah and going, oh, Jesus is a better Jonah. Oh, Jesus is like the greatest Isaac. Jesus is like the better Esther. Like if all those moments had rushed into his head and he went, he's here. God has made himself known and he's come. And now I just get to put faith in the work that Christ has done to rescue me from this guilty verdict that I have. That's the the core, right, of the gospel for us. This righteousness, this being made right with God, being justified, even though we did not deserve it. We hear that language here. uh, There's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short. Just very clear. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of this. But we can be made right, and it's this free gift. That's what this grace is. This grace that powers us to continue to live the grace that brings new life was given to us, although we deserved death. As the guilty verdict came down on us, Jesus jumps in front and says, I'll take it. I'll take it for them. I'll redeem them. It's free. There's, There's nothing they can do. And so our job then in this, our part in this is that we put our faith in him. I think this is really important here to understand, to put our faith in Jesus Christ. So all who put their faith in Christ are the ones who received this good news. And this now, it's this crazy, innocent sentence. So in a moment we go from, you're guilty, deserve death, to, oh, Jesus has taken that, and now God sees Jesus when he sees us, and we now are innocent. And so we put our faith in that work that Christ has done. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this, old pastor, theologian, he says, The man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself, no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he is now. He does not look at what he hopes to be. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, and he rests on that alone. This this isn't a, a faith that you go, let me look at how much I'm pretty awesome that I can believe so strongly in Jesus, or I'm a faithful person, or I'm a spiritual person, or I believe that I think there is a God. This is a, I believe in the work that Jesus did as he rose and he appeared, he, he did miracles, he did signs and wonders, he was crucified on a cross for us, he rose from the grave. Today he sits on his throne and I believe that is true. And I believe in that person and what they can do kind of like an airplane if you had to fly all the way over like let's say you're going to paris on a trip uh you're putting faith that that airplane gets you to paris because your belief that the airplane gets you to paris doesn't get you there the actual airplane gets you there does that make the difference in that so we're putting faith in that christ that person is it gets us there it rescues us and and him alone we see this uh, important aspect, too, as we see Jesus in the garden. As he's praying, he, he prays something really interesting. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed. This is right before he's arrested and eventually crucified. He knows what's coming. And he prays, he says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus even says, if there's another way if like they could do a lot of community service or if like, could we change the rules so that they can, death isn't the sentence for them. He knows this is it. The one true innocent one who has come, God himself as man and God needs to be crucified on a cross to pay for our penalty of death. He needs to be taken to death row in our place so that we could have life. There's no other way. Can't try harder. We can't identify with a different group. We can't uh, we can't block someone enough. We can't talk poorly about someone else enough. We can't just find ourselves through some experience. We can't just clean ourselves up. We can't just get better lawyers who could argue a better. There's no way. The way is believing Christ is the one who has died and risen, believing in His work, and that's what rescues us. It's actually the same. We see this all over, right? This is the gospel. So we see this all over scripture and the same thing in a shorter version. Instead of having to read Romans 1 and 2 and 3 and get here in Ephesians, it's kind of condensed for us. It's the same thing. If you remember a couple of years ago, we went through Ephesians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were dead. You hear this? We're dead. Verdict sin, you're dead because of your sins, your disobedience. You weren't following Jesus. Instead, you were following the prince of the power. You're following the accuser, the spirit, the, everything else around you, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We're following just our own desires. What we thought what we felt was right, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That kind of sums up what Paul Paul could have said, hey, read read Ephesians 2. But instead he wrote a lot longer thing to the Romans. Uh, He says, we're children of wrath. So instead of being called children of God, he calls us children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, all have fallen short. And look, that word again. But God, but God, we get this accusation at us and we get this, but God. doesn't leave us there. We could be left there. And I think many, many days of my life, I think I'm left there. And I go, I got to figure this out. Something's messed up. Something's not right. And I forget, but God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, nothing to offer, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated, with, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. we go from an accusation, you're broken, you're children of wrath, you've turned from God, you've listened to Satan, you've listened to the world around you, you've listened to your flesh, and it's turned into more brokenness, more heart disease, more darkness. But God doesn't leave us there because this is immense love for us. And so an accusation to you, we're told today that the gospel tells us turns into a love for you. I'm going to keep emojis going. You ready for this? Get ready. It might be a little corny. The it, right? From a finger pointed at you to an I love you. I don't know if anyone does this in our house. It's a common thing in our house. Sometimes when uh, a kid doesn't want to necessarily talk, sometimes it happens. <laughs> can still give a, I can still say I love you. I've been learning though. There's lots of ways to say I love you. The old heart, Just recently learned this in my house, the tiny heart. Anyone know this? Thanks to BTS, our daughter knows that this means heart. I love you, the little hand. This has become our new, we used to to do this. I know you don't want to talk to me, but still love you. Now it's this, which feels weirder. I just did it out the window the other day. I dropped her off to high school. As a parent, I feel this. I feel this. I would love all day to, I have a list of things I could tell her. Hey, you know all these things you're not good at? I go, you know what? The gospel has changed me, but God has changed me and I get to show the same thing to my kid. I get to do a weird little hand thing out the window (laughs) as a grown man and say, I love you like our father does. He loves you so much more, so much he'd send Christ to stand in the way to take your guilty verdict, to stand on death row for you. This is everything that changes us. For me, people who are accused and guilty to people who know we're loved and cared for in a way and kindness that we cannot imagine. It's the, it's the core foundation of the gospel. You're way more sinful than you realize and you're way more loved than you even know. The crazy thing is though, that each day I have to kind of say yes to this because uh, each day I believe the accusations and the fingers point at me and uh, there's days I don't, which in this context, I think, wow, how could I not? And in the process that I actually learned to kind of interesting story it's a little bit of uh really cool american history i know cool but interesting american history in 1833 there was a man named george wilson who was convicted of robbing and endangering almost killing some people as he robbed the u.s mail truck i almost said car there was not a car in 1833 in pennsylvania he put lots of people in danger he was sentenced to death But because of his friends, who had a lot of influence over Andrew Jackson, he was actually pardoned. So the president said, George Wilson, you are guilty and should die, but I actually, I'm going to pardon you. You You've heard that, actually that language, we just sang that language, that we are pardoned, right? It's this, this, you have a sentence and and you're given this person, right? Andrew Jackson just says, you're free. You should be in jail. Until the day you die, you should be on death row, but instead you're not. So they went to Wilson and said, you've been pardoned. Incredible, right? And he says, no, I don't want it. What? (laughs) Okay. So in fact, it went to the Supreme Court because for the first time someone said, I don't want the pardon. And they went, what? (laughs) And then like, but you have to take it. And they're like, no. And then. So now what do we do? Can he still be pardoned? Can they just throw him outside the fence? Be like, sorry, you're pardoned. And so they actually had to to rule on this. It's fascinating. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential. Listen to this. And delivery is not complete without acceptance. And maybe then be rejected by the person to whom it isn't tendered. And if it is rejected, we have discovered no power in this court to force it upon him. The gift has been given to him. You're free. You should be dead. You're free. And he said, no. So he's dead. The story actually, it's, it's old enough that there was different stories reported on. There was a story reported that he um, served 10 years and then was given another pardon and he decided to take that one. There's a story that he was quickly hung after this. I don't know actually what the end of the story is. But, but the idea here, right? Could you imagine... Why would you not take that? I think in the same way, why would we not take that? This good news, why would we not take this good news? I, I think for me, I was trying to think why I don't take this good news. I think sometimes I'm like, "That's cool, thanks. I don't think I need it though. I think I got it all together. I really think I'm a really good person who just makes some maybe bad choices sometimes instead of like a pretty broken person. <laughs> who by the grace of god makes some wise choices now and then so i say it's cool thanks so you can give it to someone else who really needs it or god offers me this gift this pardon this gift through christ and i say no it's, that's okay let someone else have it not understanding like it's powerful enough for all people sometimes i think i just don't know the one giving it to me i say i i don't know you how do i know i can even trust you really this is real? I don't, I don't know. I got this figured out. I don't know if I even believe you're a thing, God. I don't know if I can trust you in this. We are offered life over and over, friends. Each morning you wake up and you get to say, thank you, Jesus. Yes, I want this life. And then it changes us. It makes us new people. It makes us people who then start looking and acting like God, People who start seeing each other like God sees each other. It makes us people who now have life and a family and a future. People who are now anchored in our storms. People who now have a sacrifice that's been done for them for all of time. People who now can find joy in suffering, peace in the midst of chaos. Love without any stipulations, just free love, just love. I, I care for you so much, God says to us, that I'm willing to, to die for you. Not because you're so awesome, it's because I love you so much. This is all we got. In fact, at Hope, uh, there's been times where you, uh people have said, hey, uh, you talk about the gospel a lot. And in fact, what, is one of my all-time favorite moments ever at Hope this is from years ago. I think I've shared this before. Someone did a Google review of Hope. And I got a notification because for a little while I was in charge of getting those. I, I didn't do anything with them. I just told them we got Google uh, reviews. And someone came to Hope and gave us a one-star review. And it was one star. If you want to hear the gospel every week, go to this church. I'm like That is the greatest review we could ever get. This is all we got. I don't know if they didn't know the system, like the, if that one meant bad, <laughs> or if they're just like, I need something out, I need to hear other tips or tricks on life. Uh, but for us, this is such a crucial thing. This is why Martin Luther says this is the center of the Bible, because out of this understanding comes how we read the rest of our Bibles. It's how we read the rest of our lives. It's how we read one another. It's how we read ourselves. It's how when you wake up in the morning and you feel accused that you're, that you're not enough, that you're not a good enough fill-in-the-blank parent, spouse, friend, worker, co-worker, human. This is the thing that goes, that says something different. You're deeply loved by our God. I'm going to invite our worship team up so we get a chance to just worship this good God, that we get to kind of proclaim that faith and say, Jesus, we believe you're the one who brings us to glory, who brings us to new life. Um, a couple of things to consider as they get ready. Do you know there's good news that Jesus has come to rescue? Maybe this is new. Maybe you've heard this and um, today's the day to say, yeah, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. I'm going to turn to Christ and put faith in him for my rescue. Maybe consider why don't you accept the pardon? What will hold you back from saying yes to the gospel? Not necessarily you like, you might say, I am a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but there's still many moments in our day that we say, no to the good news of the gospel. And I decide I'm going to make myself known. I'm going to be the one who's going to rescue myself. And we believe those accusations and they control us and not the gospel. Who reminds you of this gift of grace? And who do you know who needs to hear this good, good news of this gift of grace? I encourage you to be praying for those people. Uh, maybe even pray for a little boldness this week to get to share that with them. We're going to take an opportunity to do a few things now that we do to remember this. We have communion out in the hallways. Uh, We have two communion tables. uh, And I encourage you to head out there during our singing to take an opportunity to remember the broken body of Jesus, his shed blood, the thing that rescues us. Um, You don't have to be a member of hope. We just ask you're a follower of Jesus so that would be meaningful to you. I encourage you to do that. Also an opportunity to sing and sing these truths and remind ourselves of this faith. That we have. Uh, there's also people willing to pray for you. They'd love to pray for you in the back of the room. So I encourage you to take that. I um, mean, you can always respond by giving. Uh, you can do that online, or also we can give at the back, the communion table on this side. Uh, there's a little black box you can give to. We pray for us and let us respond to this good news. Lord, you love us immensely, more than we can know. And I pray that you would give us a little more of that today. It's hard to believe that. We're accused, we hear so many things that are untrue about who we are, who you are. Lord, right now, please remind our hearts and our heads, uh, remind us of who you are and what is true and that we would rest in this, that we would say yes, 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 to this incredible pardon, this life that you've given us, that yes, we sit in our sin, Lord, but yes to the fact that you've loved us enough to come and rescue us. Um, I pray that would empower us this week and encourage us, give us great joy and peace. I pray right now, Lord, your spirit will work in us. I know uh, many of us in this room need to be reminded, need to be filled, need to be encouraged, that, that your joy needs to fill our hearts. And I pray right now you do a work in us as we sing to you. We pray this in your good name. Amen.